1: 12, Attention, all listeners on this frequency. Stand by for an important announcement. Welcome to Medic to Medic Podcast, the weekly podcast for EMS providers, EMS
0: leaders, EMS medical directors, and others involved in or those who have an interest in emergency medical services. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Steve Cohen.
2: Welcome to another episode of Medic to Medic Podcast, coming from the Cary Area EMS Studios in Cary, North Carolina. Hi, it's Steve Cohen. Hey, head over to Apple Podcasts, Speaker, Stitcher, and to my website to listen to old podcasts, or you can subscribe at those sites to listen to this one and others. Today, I'm joined by Dave Zaman. Dave has been working in the emergency medical field for almost 30, over 30 years. He joined a company called... Image Trend over 13 years ago. He brings a lot of experience to Image Trend, which he'll tell us all about, and a little bit about himself. But one of the reasons why I wanted to have him come on is, you know, this podcast has done a lot of work and had a lot of guests regarding mental health. And Dave and his crew there developed a, a new app called Crew Care, which we'll hear a lot more about. So Dave, welcome to Medic to Medic podcast.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate
2: it. Well, Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I live uh, up here in the uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. I have been a uh, started-off EMT dispatcher. Uh, I was a paramedic here uh, for about uh, over 10 years uh, in the Twin Cities area, working for both uh, Alina and then uh, uh, Hennepin County Medical Center. Um, Then got into... Kind the sales realm, and I've been with uh, ImageTrend, both in sales and product management and business development management for about uh, 13 years. But uh, the mental health side has always been something that's been a big i um, am big advocate for. I was the uh, uh, vice president and then president of our uh, Metro CISM team <laughs> back in the uh, middle to late 90s. So um, very big interest in this and very excited to kind of share what we're doing with crew care.
2: Before we get into ImageTrend and crew care... How would you get involved in emergency medical service?
1: You know, I, uh, at, I was in college at the time down in Wisconsin, and uh, I needed a job. And I, uh, my sister happened to be an ICU nurse at the local hospital and uh, needed a monitor tech. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means or what that entails, but sure, why not? I applied for the job, got it, um, started learning on cardiac rhythms, and just fell in love with medicine. Um, but realizing that uh, uh, somewhere in the back of my mind I was an old emergency fan and really loved EMS, decided to take a first responder class first, uh, fell in love with that, started doing some ride-alongs, and realized if I wanted to do this uh, full-time, I wanted to be a paramedic. So uh, at that point in time in the uh, late 80s, there was no civilian way of becoming a paramedic in the, in Madison. So uh, there were a great school up in the Twin Cities. Um, it was a North, Northeast Technical College at the time, now Century College, uh, had a program. And uh, so I moved up to the Twin Cities with the idea of moving back to Wisconsin after I got my paramedic, and uh, I've never left. So I've been up here, like I said, uh, about 30 years.
2: Tell us a little bit about your experience as a paramedic and what did you face uh how was mental health handled back then when you first started to where it is today
1: you know, i think you know our, our mental health we you know was yeah we talked a little bit about it we did have you know i think in the twin cities we're very progressive having a cism team um i had never gone through a, a debriefing or diffusing prior to me joining the team uh but i knew it was there I do remember kind of being in, you know, when I am going through orientations with both uh, Laina and, and Hennepin, you know, talking about it, but there wasn't the, the conscious of, hey, be careful of yourself. It was really protect your back and protect, you know, uh, exposures and things like that. But it, we didn't talk a whole lot about how to protect yourself from the, the trauma that we see and, you know, the things that we see that no, no normal person really sees. We're exposed to so much. It really came out to that you know you would talk to people, talk to your crew members. You'd go out to the bar, or you you know you would sit out after after work. And we used to sit up at the top of the parking ramp at Hennepin, and just uh, you know you talk about the day, you talk about the night, and um, and that was the way you kind of got through stuff. But you never really said that, man. That run really got to me, or you, know, you, you kind of really internalized it. Um, you know you may talk with it about with your partner, but mental health besides the tra- traumatic run really wasn't addressed and you know let alone the the person you know actual our mental health, you know the just the natural disease process of mental health was you know people with depression or bipolar whatever as providers i I don't think it was ever really talked about
2: yeah it was always taboo. Uh, I'm in my 38th year coming up on 39 in November and I remember plenty of EMS calls that we ran and our supervisor would say, okay, time to get back in service. We're busy. So there was no such thing as a a formal debriefing or making sure that we were okay. Now the supervisor would say, are you okay? And what we say? Because we we didn't know what else to say, but yeah, we're okay. And we just went on doing our own job, but never knew what the impact would be some years later to a lot of providers. Any comments on that?
1: No, I I totally agree. And and one one thing that stuck with me going through when the um, my CISM training and, and going through that is when people talk about their you know their stories. When you remember those stories of calls, those are your critical incidents. Those are the ones you remember. I mean, we've we've been on you know thousands and thousands of calls and seen thousands of patients over the years, but you you've got those handful that you remember for whatever reason and. Someone describes those are your critical incidents. Those are the ones that are drilled into your memory, and for me, that is very true. Um, there are ones that I'm sure that other people have drilled into their memories that I don't remember because it didn't it didn't hit me. But I can I can tell you on you know one or two hands the calls that really affected me to this day. I can remember them. I can see them. I can remember what I did or didn't do, and uh, it's it's kind of an interesting way. It's it's your your war stories are really probably your critical ones.
2: Do you mind telling us one of those war stories?
1: You know, I think the the one that always hits me the most was, and and I think for in, in investigating, it's stuff that we don't expect. And uh, one of my stories, and this is probably the one that hit me the most, was we got a call in uh, middle of the, uh, probably late afternoon, 4 or 5 o'clock on a weekday, um, for a three-year-old, who fell off the couch and has um, got a head injury or, you know, crying. And, you know, we kind of think of that going, okay, that's, you know, we get those kind of calls a lot. I won't say, you know, that probably nothing, they fall, hit their head, they're crying, their parents are, are upset or whatever. Maybe they have a bump on the head, something like that. So, but you're not really in the line that this is a critical call. You're kind of thinking that this is a, a standard DLS type of call that you can easily handle. But I remember walking in, we had, So because it was in Minneapolis, the protocols for that type of thing, we did have the fire department um, there first. Uh, We walk in and I remember mom holding this baby and it was a three month old, uh, wasn't a three year old. And I looked at mom holding this baby and I look at the baby and it's doing, it's got agonal respiration. And all of a sudden you kind of go, oh crap this is not what I thought it was. And I've got a critical three-year-old or three, excuse me, three month old. And I remember taking the baby from mom and just turning to my partner. Like we got to go and we got to go now. And, and I don't think fire had an idea and got into the back of the truck, secured an airway, uh, you know, and just like, let's go. And My partner realizing that we were going down, What I didn't know at the time I had fire with me, helping with the airway and doing the other, other things going on was this was a rush hour traffic. And what I didn't realize is the father, uh, mom was riding up in front, but the father was in his car uh, following us. But as we're going lights and sirens, he was right on our tail blowing the red lights with us. And my partner was, uh, really upset. I mean, it's obviously really dangerous. In saying that, you know, so he was, man, once we got to the ER, again, I didn't realize that. He was mentioning that to me. Our dispatch, uh, because again, protocol in, in Minneapolis, if it would have come out as a three-month-old injury. We would have had police, uh, but because it came out as a three-year-old, we they weren't dispatched, but our dispatch uh, was incredible. As we're lifting the patient out, uh, going into um, Hennepin County, they just asked on the radio, do you need blue shirts? And so trying to be as discreet as they can, because they knew he had family around, um, knowing that, just asking, do you want police? And I just answered yes. Um, remember wing, you know, wheeling that patient into the, the stateroom room at Hennepin, um, turning over care and just kind of being wiped, and then writing in, the, in their break room, starting to write my report, police come out, they're talking to me. I go back in and talking to the doc and um, the uh, child had um, bilateral retinal hemorrhage. So obviously it was a shaken baby and very severe. So that, you know, and again, it's homicide detectives were called and they actually did end up arresting the father. And um, the baby did survive, um, would never have more than about a two-year-old's mental capacity, Uh, that's the last I knew. I do know that some closure for me, I did get to testify in his trial, um, and he did end up doing about seven years. Not enough in my book, but um, it was something. So that, for me, will always be my, the run that I mean, that was probably 25, 20-some-odd years ago, but I'll never forget it.
2: You can tell with the vivid details of the story, and how it still impacts you impacts your memory and how well you tell that story word for word and how you remember even testifying and let me ask you a question what was it like right after that call did your supervisors check on you and how did you sleep that night
1: no the supervisors didn't check on me um, it was a busy afternoon and by the time you know i got done with my report and yeah they gave us a little you know on critical calls you get a little extra time um, to kind of, you know, making sure your truck's back in order and, and checking with the docs. But, you know, the kid was out of the stateroom room pretty fast up to CT and, and up to the uh, uh, pediatric ICU. So I didn't have much of a chance there. And obviously the, the ER was busy. And so it was on to the next call. And, and I'll be honest, I don't remember how I slept that night. Um, uh, I don't remember if I slept well. I, the, the memory of that call really ends with, me talking to the, the police that, you know, right before we got done um, and on to the next call. So that's really what's my memory. And I didn't even really think much. I mean, I thought a lot about it. Don't get me wrong, but I I didn't dive into it more. There was not a debriefing done. There wasn't anything. So I think a lot of people didn't really realize what was going on besides, you know, me, uh, my partner. I'm not even sure if I really realized the, the severity of it. You know, because they they didn't hear the ending of it because they're you know as soon as they're dropped off their their engine comes and picks them up they're not hanging around the emergency department so my memory of that day kind of ends going back
2: out on the next call and how about when you testified against the uh, the father did that bring closure and did it bring up bad memories or did you just relive it, that it, call all over again
1: I you know I it did have a I felt a little bit of closure. I remember sitting up on the stand, you know. And first, the you know, I talked with the prosecutor and what um, what she was going to go over, and um, that was fine. And what got me was the the defense attorney trying to be nice and introduce his client, and I'm just like, I don't want, I you know, I don't like you. I'm don't don't try to play nice. And they didn't have many questions. They questioned why I thought it was a head injury based on So I had to define the GCS numbers that I had put on my report and what those meant and what the agonal respirations meant. Um, and that was pretty much the, all that um, the, the defense attorney tried, you know, tried to ask me. So um, in doing that, I did, you know, again, found out how, you know, that he had done some time um, but again, I, I don't know if the child is you know s- still living or not. Um, obviously, with severe disabilities, um, if they did. Um, but uh, father, I know is well was at least out on those charges by now. So um, it, some closure, but I, you know, not enough. I mean, like I said, I still can remember all the details of it.
2: You're. Uh... Advertising and marketing major at Wisconsin, and then you decide to go into EMS. What led you to choosing advertising and marketing as your uh, major? (laughs) That's
1: a great question. So, growing up, uh, you know, I I really wanted to sell um, advertising uh, for uh, TV and radio. That was kind of what I thought I wanted to do. So um, kind of going down the advertising and marketing, trying to get some of the business classes and and things like that at Wisconsin, figuring that that's that's kind of what I wanted to do Um, until I, you know, I look back now and and it's like Emergency was one of my favorite shows. Um, I had the, heck, I had the board game, you know, Um, uh, looking back now, I should have known then, but uh, got to the right career eventually,
2: I guess. I'm the same way. I watched Emergency, and I love that show. I still watch it on reruns. They run it on one of the cable stations here, and when I have a chance, I either DVR it, or if I'm home, I'll watch it. I still enjoy this show. I was lucky enough to have Johnny Gage Randolph Mantooth on my podcast uh, in my first year. That's
1: great. I met him. I've I've met him a couple of times now at, at different conferences, and, and uh, he's just a great guy and a great advocate for uh, for our industry, and really understands the place and the and the part he played in it, um, and what he's done and continues to do for our industry. So
2: oh, I totally agree with you. It was one of my actually it's probably the highlight uh, of of my podcast so far, just because. It was a mission of mine to get him on the podcast and was able to do that and we spent some time he was just so generous of his time and you're right he's such an advocate for public safety and making sure that he's out there speaking and doing what he can after all these years. It, and just in case you want to know, that is episode number 30 for me, uh, in case you want to go back or I know listeners want to go I, back. I'm gonna,
1: yeah, definitely. I'm going to go back and listen for that one. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: You'll hear that I was pretty excited. You, you'll be able to tell my voice <laughs> that how excited I was about having him on the podcast. Well, how did you get interested in technology?
1: You know, it, it goes back, you know, um, kind of intertwined. My, my father uh, sold computers. um and uh, even when I was growing up, worked for uh, early part of, was working for Burroughs Corporation, selling like adding machines, the first type of banking computers. Um, and then around 1980, uh, he had a business opportunity and bought into a computer land franchise. Um, and uh, so we had a, an Apple II Plus at home uh, right away. And so kind of had one of the first personal computers, home computers at that point. And then uh, while I was in high school and early part of college, I started working for computer land, um, doing some sales, um, in some of their retail locations. And so I've always kind of been around computers. Um, and so it's never been foreign to me at all. Um, in, in saying that, you know, it kind of, I'm one of the people when you got into anything I do, I'm not a, a nine-to-five, you know, Monday through Friday type of, of guy. When I got into EMS, it was what else can I do? What other things are out there? And so getting involved with, with some data stuff, I got involved with uh, injury prevention work at, at Hennepin, a lot of car seat uh, clinics and car seat technicians. I was actually a car seat technician instructor. Um, and so, you know, just trying to do other things. And so technology is... In my background, I've never been afraid of it. Um, and so, you know, I was lucky enough to know about Image Trend um, through they had had the um, or were the vendor for the Minnesota State uh, EMS repository. MinStar um, was there first, and Minnesota was really one of the first to have that. So I knew about them, and they happened to put an ad in the paper, and I happened to be looking, and we happened to know have a lot of common people that we knew and, and so i was fortunate enough to to get hired from with them
2: well tell us a little bit about image trend and what their mission is
1: you know mike you know we're you know a privately held company and we're out of here out of the twin cities like minnesota you know we're still run and owned by mike um you know and i he's a it's a database company that's what he started as i mean you know and, and web-based uh database things and ended up getting into ems um, by responding to an RFP, like I said, for the state of Minnesota, thinking, you know, how hard could that be? And uh, finally, quickly realizing it's, it's a different animal, but really stepped up to the challenge. And, um, you know, once I got, that was around 2000, 2001. I was hired at the end of 2005. We had added a number, a few more states on on board. I think we we're at five to seven, somewhere around there state systems at that point. Um, we're now at 39, uh, state systems. So we've really moved into that EMS or, or EDS, what we call kind of emergency data, uh, EMS, obviously fire. Uh, we've got some trauma and stroke STEMI registries, some other emergency preparedness uh, software as well. So, um, our mission really is to serve our clientele. Um, we, build software because our clients asked for it. Um, You know, we built the original EMS system, but then, you know, people say, well, what about a fire system or what about, you know, a, this system or a trauma registry system or that system. And, and we've really just kind of continued to grow based on what our customers asked for um, and built on uh, customer support. Um, You know, like I'll tell people, you know, software is never perfect and it's, it's never done. But it's how you respond to the to the issues, and and I've always been a big fan of what what Image Trend can do, and has done, and stand behind the uh, you know when, stand behinds our product, and tries to really stand behind uh, the industry.
2: Can you provide us an example of like the EMS system? What does it do? Like,
1: well, they originally built you know a, a, a state system where all EMS. Um, Runs that you know from a particular state will be, you know, be downloaded into you know into the state repository, and so that's really where we started, um, and then ended up building that client piece so that the front end medics uh, to be able to you know have something out in the field uh, to be able to do that that charting software and, and that documentation, and so that's kind of where we've we've kind of grown up in, in that respect, and, and really tried now to focus on. The data collection portion, making that easy and simple for, for the crews, um, and then the reporting aspect. How do we use data to effectively change um, patient care um, and improve patient care? And as a medic, how, why do I care about that? And how do I make it, as a manager, how do I make it easy for my crews? So that I can, you know, and what what do I provide in my crews that I can make sure that I'm getting the proper data and, and being able to improve to the, for the you know the EMS care in, in your community. I mean, I joke that when I was on the streets, I could write a really really crappy run form on paper, you know, in about five to ten minutes. And you wouldn't one, you probably couldn't read it. Two, I didn't spell things correctly. I'm a lousy speller. And three how much data did I really put in there? Obviously, I think we write, you know, those critical calls a lot more, you know, detailed, but on some of the BLS calls, how much detail did I really get into, and how much stuff did I really um, put in there that I should have, and when you look at going electronic, we're having to add things in, and, and I use the example, when I wrote on a piece of paper, blood sugar was 120, it was kind of assumed I'd i actually did the procedure of you know checking the, their glucose now it's really two steps in an electronic system that at times that you've got to make sure you mark the procedure and mark that the uh, what the the um result was so how do you make that easier for the for the the medics and things like that and that's that's probably the biggest challenge that uh, that we've had and, and any uh ePCR provider has.
2: Why do you think mental health all of a sudden became forefront in, at least in EMS? You know, It's always been around, but it, it has become such a hot topic over the last few years. There, there's a whole bunch of conferences, and there's more peer support teams out there. And CISM has been out there for a while, but man, now you're hearing it all the time. Let's hear your reason why.
1: Well, I think we're hearing about the, the death by suicides more. I think social media has something to do with that as well. I think we're hearing about it more. I think I'm not positive that that suicides are, are necessarily up. I don't, you know, I don't know that, but I think we're hearing about it a lot more. I think um, we're starting to look at injuries, um, and, I, and I'll come back to, to 9/11 in, in some respect that. Trying to identify, you know, cancer and things like that from one incident is very tough. It's, it's a cumulative type of of thing, and we're starting to finally look at that. And I think the mental health is the exact same way. Before, when you looked at trying to identify, it's like, well, what what run screwed you up? What run screwed your back up? What run screwed your ankle up? What run you can't. It doesn't work that way in mental health. It doesn't work that way in like, you know, cancer and things like that. So I think that that change is kind of starting to come over. And I think social media and, and our awareness um, has really something to do with that. Um, is that kind of how you're feeling as well?
2: Well, I believe social media has had a big impact on the reporting component. And I totally agree with you and your assessment. I guess my concern is that you know, we continue to try to develop conferences, but people are still committing suicide. So, where are we missing? We're missing something, and I just I wish I could find where we're missing to try to prevent it. There's a lot of education out there, and now we're going to get into your app, Crew Care. But I just don't understand what we're missing and why we can't try to reduce it.
1: Yeah, no, I I think you know. I still think there's a culture. We can talk all we want about you and me and and these conferences, but it comes down to leadership at the department level. And I think there's a couple of components to that. Um, There is the, the management style of being able to be accepting that says mental health or this is, I don't say a disability, but is an injury. You know, I, in one of my examples, I, I talk about two paramedics that go out on the same um, fatality car crash, okay? One, you know, let's say it's a pediatric um, uh, fatality, and one person lifts the stretcher on and injures their back, and one person is just affected by this mentally, and whether PTSD or whatever you want, however you want to uh, call it, but which, you know, the person who injures their back fills out the paperwork, goes to a doctor, goes through PT, OT, whatever, gets their back strong enough, gets a letter that says they're fit for duty and they're back on on board. No problems, there's no stigma, nothing like that. The person who's hit by this emotionally probably doesn't fill out an incident report, probably doesn't tell anybody. So maybe that uh, they start drinking more. Maybe they start, you know, other things, their attitudes change. Now they become a disciplinary action, and what happens? Maybe they end up losing their job 6, 8, 12 months. What's the difference in that call affected those two people? Both people were injured. One was injured their back, one injured their brain. Why do we treat that differently? And I think it's still the stigma of coming back to your chief, your supervisor, your partner, um, and being able to say, this affected me. And what is my chief gonna say? What is my supervisor gonna say? What is my partner gonna say? Because the other thing that that I truly believe with the idea of improving our own mental health as providers is we have to change how we treat mental health patients as providers. I think all of us at one time or another, and whether it's you know, we get frustrated or things like that and oh, this is another psych caller, another suicide caller. You know, I could teach them how to do it. You know, we all make joking remarks or, you know, off the cuff you know, uh, dark humor. But if I'm sitting next to you and you're making that joke and I'm struggling with my own depression or I'm struggling with and thinking about suicide, do you think I'm ever opening up to you as my partner? Probably not. And let alone am I going to go to my supervisor or my chief? Probably not. And I also had somebody else bring up the fact is we see how sometimes we bring in these mental health patients into the emergency departments and how are they treated. You know, there's no beds. Um, you know, they're stuck in maybe the ED for 6, 12, 24 hours sometimes, maybe that they get, you know. So we look at that care and go, well, why would I ever want to go into the system I, I'm seeing this side of mental health uh, care and why would I ever want to do that to myself? I'm not going to, I'll just won't tell anybody. And I think there's a couple of those reasons why uh, we're still seeing, even though we're recognizing more and more that they're there, we're still seeing the, the increase of, of suicide.
2: Well, I agree with your reasoning and your reasons that you provided. I also believe that it's easier to treat a physical, something that we can see, and understand versus something like mental health, or that this call is affecting me because we can't really see that because, as you mentioned, we don't talk about it. Really good points, Dave. All right, well, how did crew care come about?
1: So, you know, crew care kind of came about from, um, you know, one of the things we've got our, we, we hired um, about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, our epidemiologist, Morgan Anderson. And uh, we started looking at things, what's important, you know, uh, that we can start looking to do for the community. And, and not only looking at our, you know, the EMS data and really diving into that, but we started, we, you know, it just started talking about, it. I think stuff was in the news around here. There have been a couple of uh, uh, public safety people, you know, uh, who had died by suicide. And we started talking, it's like, well, what can we do? And we kind of came up with the idea of, of an app. And originally we had talked about, well, how can we look at your the call someone's been on and start trying to identify which ones might be triggers? You know, are we looking at, you know, pediatric arrests? Are we looking at multiple, um, you know, pediatric calls, period, that were, that were critical? And what we ran into is, you know, obviously being able to start tying that kind of data Back to people, it, there's a lot of legal issues, but let's just say, you know, with HIPAA and, and how we were doing it. So we kind of took a step back and said, okay, instead of always being able to trigger that and say, this call may have affected, what if we gave the, the providers the ability to self-evaluate themselves and and really start putting in, how do I feel um, right now and why? What is that? What's causing me to feel this way, good, bad, or indifferent? Um, right now. And then also having lifestyles, What's, how is my life going? you know, what's affecting, what's stressing me out? Is it my marriage? Is it my finances? Is it my kid? You know, what is it? Um, do we, how do we handle stress? Are we smokers? Are we drinkers? Are we, is there other recreational drugs being used? And then be able to collect that data across anonymously, across the spectrum, And then be able to say, okay, how are we doing? Based on, you know, and and breaking it down, we ask, you know, is this a career person? Is this a a paid on call person? Is this a fire and EMS person? This is a a private, you know, those kind of things. And being able to really start looking at the data and then look at the general public um, and how does our perception, you know, what's the percentage of alcohol use for creating stress that, is self-reported in, in uh, EMS versus the general public. What is you know, and, and how do we handle stress? Is it you know, and one of the interesting things was um, the general public looks to want to lose weight. About thirty percent people self-admit they want to lose weight, whereas in the survey so far that we're seeing through peer, crew care, it was around the sixty to eighty, sixty to seventy percent uh, were looking to that. I mean, it, what does that say? I don't know. But that's what our epidemiologist is really starting to pull together. The other option then we give, and, and the app is totally free and totally anonymous. We do not ask for any information. We ask for an email address if you want to reset a password. That's it. And actually, even that is totally buried. in. We, even our epidemiologist with, with her data link has no access to those. So everything is totally anonymous, which we wanted to make sure that we we're very clear with that because we know that there's a paranoia. I don't want my crew, my chief to know what I'm doing or, or my, my peers. So make it very anonymous. Now But what we do offer, if a department, a county, a, a state wants to um, purchase, there's a small fee, and what we do is give them a, a code. Uh, that their their participants can put in. And so that just identifies, I'm with this service or that service or this county or this state and whatever it might be. And then um, Morgan will put together reports on the health of that department and then looking against, you know, how are those people specifically doing, how are they doing against their peers, and, and we provide uh, reports. The other things that that cost, they can put in specific um Recommendations of specific uh, resources within the app uh, to who to call and, and things like that. Locally, uh, we provide uh, more of a national um, numbers and, and things like that within the app, uh, the free app. But we allow then, uh, if paid, to be able to put in some and personalize it a little bit for the department. Add some of the own own department's questions um, within there as well, so we can get a little bit more specific. But again, total, still totally anonymous, and we're very 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 careful with that
2: why do you think uh, providers will use your app
1: you know one i think of one reason that people like it is because they know it's anonymous they can actually tell somebody and again it's it's the internet but they can actually tell someone how they're feeling and and morgan has said shown you know uh, seen some of the comments people are very much opening up to this um and, and putting in their feelings and, and being very honest, because I think they know it's anonymous. And they know that this is trying to help not only themselves, because we offer in the app, how do you compare to other people? Is your stress level higher than the average? Um, you know, are you overly stressed in, in finances? Here's some resources. That. So I think they generally know we're trying to help, and we're, it, it's free, and it's anonymous.
2: Well, that sounds good. Now, if people want to learn more about the app and ImageTrend, how can they do that, Dave?
1: Uh, certainly, go to uh, ImageTrend.com is our is our website. Um, and if you go to the any of the app stores, um, you can download the app. Uh, uh, it's just called TrueCare. Sign up and and start start entering entering your data.
2: Dave, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about uh, just your own personal experiences, ImageTrend, and your new app, Care. So thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. I truly appreciate the opportunity, and uh, let's just keep ourselves safe.